Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Welcome to Growing in Grace. My name is Victor Morrison. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Columbus, Texas. So glad you're listening in today. I have a question for you. Have you ever had a subtraction of your satisfaction? Hey, listen, it can happen. It can happen when you go to the doctor. It can happen when you uh, pay bills. It can happen at work. It can happen at school. It can happen anywhere. You're just as happy as you could be until something takes place. You know, I remember when I was growing up, uh, way back in the 1960s, there was a man named Mick Jagger, an entertainer. He and the Rolling Stones would uh, definitely get my attention whenever they would say, I don't get no uh, satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. He said it over and over again. But, you know, I think that really satisfaction is possible in life. Maybe you're feeling that way today. I'm so glad you're listening because I believe that Psalm 63 is going to tell us the right place to go to find true satisfaction. You know, you're going to hear David write these words, my soul will be satisfied. That's in verse five of Psalm 63. You know, it's interesting how his circumstances were trying to take away from his contentment. But David knew where to go to renew his soul spiritually. You see, David was forced to evacuate the palace and run into the wilderness. His son Absalom was dissatisfied and out of control. He was leading a revolt to overthrow the king. Now, the king, according to the title of this psalm, the king is out there surviving in very rustic and primitive conditions in the backwoods. Can you imagine how uncomfortable he must be out there? Surely on some levels, there must have been a subtraction from David's satisfaction. And yet, he's able to write, my soul will be satisfied. Wow, he must have known a secret. You know what I think his secret was? He made a U-turn. It's not the U-turn like you might be thinking with the letter U, but it's the pronoun U. He wrote down how he took a U-turn, Y-O-U, and rediscovered satisfaction. You see, what he did was he walked in the direction of his personal relationship with the Lord. And I think that that's where he found fulfillment. Do you know that 15 times in Psalm 63, over and over again, he uses that personal pronoun for the Lord, you. He's having a personal conversation with the God who made him. You know, I believe that Isaiah the prophet knew exactly where David was finding that fulfillment whenever he wrote in Isaiah 12, 3, with joy, he was going to draw water from the wells of salvation. That's what David was doing. Do you do that? You know, Paul did that in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. He said, I've learned 
in whatever situation I am in to be content. He later described it as a secret. Paul said, the secret is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, he knew the same secret that David knew out there in the wilderness. Nothing's going right. Nothing is convenient. Nothing is comfortable. And yet, David, you're going to hear him say, my soul will be satisfied. Let me read it through, and then let's get started. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. What a fascinating passage of scripture. David wrote somewhere out there, it says, in the wilderness, a psalm of David, it says, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Let's see what we can learn from David. He certainly came out to where he found satisfaction in that wilderness. Let's see where he went. I think verse one tells us the first place we can find satisfaction, even in 2023 or whatever year you're listening to this podcast in. He says he's longing for the Lord, longing for the Lord. This is the way David put it. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You know, uh, if you've ever been over there to Israel, I've heard several talk about it. I've never been to Israel, but I've heard people say, it's so dry out there. There's so many rocks. There's very little vegetation in some parts of Israel, especially I'm assuming in this wilderness area. So David is saying, it's so dry out here. And the dryness he's describing, though, is not just in the environment. No, the dryness he's describing, he says, my flesh faints. I'm dry and weary. I think it was a spiritual weariness, a spiritual dryness that he was dealing with, but he makes a declaration of his faith. And he says, you're my God. And so he begins to set his longing, his desire for the Father. He says, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to thirst for you. You know, Lord, what I'm really fainting for, I'm fainting for you. I long to get that kind of word and information over to some of the young adults in our world today. Do you know I read an article that was uh, dated November the 4th, 2019. 
But in that article, it said that after interviewing 2,000 millennials who are, well, 22 years of age to 38 years of age, do you know that 80% of them said, I constantly feel that I'm not good enough. I don't just feel that I'm not good enough in this area. I feel I'm not good enough in multiple areas. 75% said they feel overwhelmed to succeed. 80% of them said, this is such a big issue in my life, I can't even sleep. It's affecting my health and my mental health. Whenever they probed a little deeper, they said, well, who's making you feel this way that you're not good enough? Do you know what they said? They said, my parents. They said, social media. They said, thirdly, peers. And then fourthly, quite transparently and honestly, these millennials said, you know what? Even my own self, I'm too hard on myself. And so I just don't feel like I measure up to my own standards. Wow. You know, you may not realize it, but eight in 10 millennials that are around us believe they simply aren't good enough. Well, I want them so badly to take their longing into the presence of the Father. I think he'll make such a difference. I love what verse 2 says because it changes from longing for the Father to looking for the Father. You know, Warren Worsby says in a commentary that he wrote on this passage, he says, it is our regular worship that prepares us for the crisis experiences of life. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. Oh, I think that's so well said. You know what gets me ready for every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year? It's my own personal time of meeting with God in His Word, praying, turning over my day to Him, asking Him, Lord, what do you think about me? Lord, how much do you love me? Lord, do you have a plan for me? You know, it's like he goes into the sanctuary, he says, and he says, I was looking for someone. He said, I was looking for God. You know, when you go to church, are you distracted what other people are wearing? Are you distracted what other people are doing? You know, I just encourage you, when you go to church and you go to worship, why don't you just focus on God? Why don't you just say, God, I need to see you high and lifted up today. And you know what? When David reflected on his past, how he used to be able to go to the sanctuary, he's out in the wilderness now. This is a crisis moment in his life. But you know what had calibrated his thinking? What had calibrated his thinking was the worship times that he constantly had with the Lord because he realized God loves me. God has a plan for me. There's hope for me because God is in my life. And so, oh, what a difference. The display of God in the sanctuary had revealed to him two things, the power of God and the presence of God. He describes it this way. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding, what'd you see, David? He said, I was beholding your power and your glory. You know, beholding there is way beyond just looking, right? Yeah, beholding means you're just staring at it. He was staring at who God was. And I think it just totally encouraged him. I encourage you to do that. You know, there's something about gathering for worship. I want to move to a third way that I think we can find satisfaction again. 
Do you know that whenever I'm satisfied in in the Lord, I think that that's when I begin to get satisfied in all of life. So if I will lift up the Lord in worship, then it's going to make a huge difference on me as I live my life. Here's what he says. He says, because your steadfast love's better than life, my lips are going to praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You know, there's two things I couldn't help but notice. And that is, worship always has to express itself. Did you notice that he's going to lift up the Lord in verbal expression, and he's going to lift up the Lord in visual expression? That's why he's lifting his hands. Not for other people. He can't help but lift his hands. He can't help but sing with joyful lips. Why? Because God's so good. God is so good. You know that word worship? You know what it actually stands for? Worth. Not were. <laughs> it's worship is worth-ship. And so that's what it means whenever we consider someone worthy of our time, our attention, worthy of our praise, then we don't mind. It's like we're going to put the value on something, and when we do that, it's going to be displayed. We'll sing to Him. We will worship Him. We'll bow our head in reverence. We'll close our eyes to focus on Him. We'll lift our hands in surrender. We'll jump up and down like the Christians in Ethiopia. I'm telling you, you got to express it because he becomes so valuable, so worthy. He's so real in your life. You know, that leads me to the fourth thing. He does say, your steadfast love is better than life. You know what I think he's doing? He's making a value judgment. He certainly is. He's saying, you know what? There's a vacuum in my life. Because let's say he doesn't have a throne right now, right? He's out there in the wilderness. But do you know that uh, there was a man that was a French physicist from the past named Blaise Pascal? And he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing. And he goes on to say, only Jesus Christ can fill that God-shaped vacuum because it's shaped only for Him. So sometimes I think our crisis is whenever we begin to realize, why am I so dissatisfied? You know why we might be dissatisfied? We get dissatisfied because we're trying to fill the God-shaped vacuum in our life. We're trying to live for something other than God Himself. But here, David is coming back to it. He has nothing now. He's out there in the wilderness with with a handful of his men compared to those who were with him before. And so he just simply says, you know what? I still got a lot to live for because God's out here in the wilderness with me. Are you out in the wilderness? Remember, God's steadfast love's better than life. Do you know that a long time ago in 1415, there was a man named John Huss, and they told him, look, you got to stop preaching the truth. You got to back up on that whole idea about, you know, the gospel and so forth. Well, you know what John Huss said? They put him on a stake and they said, "We're going to burn this stake and all this lumber if you don't renounce your faith in Jesus Christ." Here's what he said, I quote, "In the truth of the gospel which I preached, I die willingly and joyfully today." And they lit the fire, and you know what? History, the records in history go out saying, John Huss died singing. You know what I'd rather say? John Huss lived singing. (laughs) 
You know, I noticed that there's a volitional aspect to what we live for, right? He says, so I will bless you as long as I live. Wow, my lips will praise you. I will lift up my hands. Three times he's using his will to keep his life in check. Man, that that matches reality, doesn't it? Well, let's move on to verses uh, 5 and 6 and 7. You know, verse 5 was kind of our keynote verse, right? My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And I'm thinking, how in the world can he be so satisfied out there in the wilderness? You know, how can he be dissatisfied? Let's, Let's just flip it. How could he be dissatisfied with all the goodness that God had given to him in his whole entire life? You know what I think dissatisfaction is for a Christian? With all the goodness that we have received our whole entire life, I think that dissatisfaction is a lot like dementia. You know what happens with dementia? We forget what's happened. We forget what's been said. And that's why it's so scary. But you know what? Those of us who know Christ, we are to be right there with David saying, you know what? I'm going to be satisfied because look how God has been. He's been so good to me. He's so great as I think about who he is. That's what I see in verses six and seven when he says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Don't you see what he's doing? He's remembering what God has done for him. He's reviewing who God is, and he's reminding his own soul, remember where you're standing here. He's saying, I'm still standing in the shadow of God's wings. And so I just think that's so powerful and so needed today. Maybe we're, maybe we're feeling dissatisfied. Maybe something is subtracting our uh, satisfaction because we're not lingering before the Lord. We're not lingering and remembering and reviewing and reminding. There's another thing I think David did. You know, whenever you feel like, oh, I'm just so tempted to be totally down today, to be so dissatisfied today. Well, I'd encourage you to to go ahead and apply verse eight. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Don't you see the balance of that? You know, it's like, who's clinging to who here? Well, (laughs) he's saying, I'm clinging to you. Do you know the word cling? There is the word cleave. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 2.24, whenever a husband leaves his father and mother and he cleaves to his wife. He clings to his wife. Do you know the word actually means to glue? It's like he's glued to, he said, Lord, I am going to glue my hand to the hem of your garment, and I'm not letting go. But the one thing he rests in, he said, but also know you're not letting go of me. He said, you uphold me. I love that. It's such a balance because I've got to hold on to him, but also he's going to hold on to me. So even if I get so weak that my hand can't hold on anymore, I can rest assured that his right hand upholds me. You see, I used to be a missionary in Japan. For 12 years, uh, my wife and I served in Japan. For many of those years, we served in Tokyo. 
Do you know that there's a, a place called Shibuya? It's a train station, and there's a, there's a crosswalk in Shibuya Station. If I showed you a picture of it, you wouldn't believe it. They say that 2,500 people cross that, that crosswalk uh, all throughout the day, and if you counted all of them together, it's 2.4 million every single day. That's a lot of people in one place. And then Shinjuku train station. Shinjuku station has even more people. It's a bigger urban center. And so it's not just 2.4 million a day, it's 3.5 million a day. Do you know that when our girls were little, we took both of them through Shibuya station, Shinjuku station. We went across that crosswalk at Shibuya Crossing, and we walked our way through Shinjuku Station to catch other trains. How did we do it with a five-year-old and an eight-year-old? Well, I'll tell you how we did it. Man, we held on tight. We held on tightly to both of our girls, and we said, hold on to daddy's hand, hold on to mom's hand, because we don't want to lose you, because man, when, when those trains are letting out, people are going in every direction possible. There may be a lot going on in your life right now, and you may be tempted to say, I don't think God even cares. And you're losing your satisfaction in God. But listen, don't let the things that are happening around you subtract the, the satisfaction that you can have in Christ. Oh, no. No, you latch on to the Lord because he's latched on to you in Christ. But I want to give you one more thing to think about. And that is sometimes what can steal our joy are toxic people. I think sometimes we come across people in our lives that really can hurt us. They can say mean things. They can say things that aren't even true about us, but suddenly it's like it just hurts and we're tempted to take our vengeance out on them and so forth. But you know what we need to do? I think that David, rather than hating Absalom, his son, I believe he just turned it all over to God. And so verses 9 and 10 and 11, it's kind of like an imprecatory type of prayer, but he's just turning it over to God. In that way, his heart is free. His heart is not filled with vengeance. Oh, no, he's already turned it over to God. And so the last thing I would say is leave it. Leave it with the Lord. You know, it's impossible to manage the world. It's impossible to manage life. It's impossible to manage other people in our lives, isn't it? I'll never forget when Jody and I went to one marriage conference. We were so refreshed when the very first speaker came out and said, would everyone please stand to your feet? We all stood to our feet. He said, would you please raise your right hand as though you were swearing in in a court of law? So we all thought this was funny. So we all raised our hand. We didn't know what we were about to be led in here. And he said, I want you to repeat after me. And you know what he had us do? He had every one of us, all of us who were couples, he had us to resign from being the CEO of the universe. He did. He said, okay, thanks. I want you to be seated. Now I want you to know it's not all up to you. And so he just took the pressure right off of our shoulders. Wow. You know, David took life's pressures in the direction of life's priority. His greatest priority was turning it all over to God. That's why the Bible says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. I love a, a Bible scholar named Derek Kidner. His outline for this uh, great psalm was he said, it first starts out 
with David saying, God, you're my desire. Then he says in verses five through eight, God, you're my delight. And he ends up by saying, God, you know what? You're my defense. I love that. You know, what a great passage of scripture during those times when maybe there's this temptation to think, you know what? I've had a definite subtraction of my satisfaction. So if it happens, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment and joy and happiness and hope in life? I'd just go right to the Lord. Go right in there. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, you know what happened in the temple? Well, there's this huge veil of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies and all of us who are broken and sinful and so forth. But you know, when Jesus died on the cross, you know what happened? That veil of the temple, I mean, it's a heavy curtain. That thing tore from the top all the way down to the bottom. And you know what the father was saying? He was saying, if you come through Christ, you can come talk to me about anything, anytime. So I want you to know he made a new and a living way into the presence of the Father just for you, just for me, just for David, just for Paul, just for Isaiah, just for everybody that'll simply turn in repentance and faith and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, let me tell you, especially I hope that someday somebody that is between the ages of 22 to 38 will listen to this podcast. And what I want you to know is that in Christ, hey, you're more than good enough. There's a perfection that the righteousness of Jesus Christ earned when he died on that cross for us. And you know what he does? It's just like a robe and he wraps it around us spiritually. And so when the father looks at us, you know what he sees? He doesn't see failure. He doesn't seem, see somebody that's never going to measure up. He doesn't see a loser. No, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. And he said, that is well done right there. So I just want to encourage you, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord to find satisfaction. It is there. No matter what Mick Jagger used to sing when I was growing up, man, you can You can get satisfaction if you'll look in the right place, and definitely the right place is in Christ. Well, let me close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for bringing tremendous, overflowing satisfaction to our lives through Christ. It's a personal relationship. It's not a religion. You're not asking us, please keep every single rule that I've ever made. No, you're just asking us to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, who did keep all of the rules that you ever made. And so it's in his righteousness that we're clothed and we want to be more like him. We want to surrender our lives. We want to live for him. So please, Lord, this week, help my friends to long for you. Help my friends to go into your word, to go into the next worship service looking for you. Help them to lift up the name of the Lord. Help them to desire to live for you. Help them to linger before you every morning to say, I want to see what God has to say to me before I start this day. Help them to latch on and hold on, knowing that really it's not just their grip. You are holding on to each one. You've got a firm grip, and I thank you for holding on to us. And Lord, for those that are hurting us, if there's anyone that are 
we've suffered wounds from, and I know it's real. And so if any of my friends have that, help them leave it with you. Help them cast the burden down. I thank you that word, cast your cares upon me and I'll sustain you. That word cast means exactly what it sounds like. It means throw it. It doesn't mean gently set it down. No, help them just toss it on over there. Help them hurl it in your direction. And I know you'll take care of them. But thank you, Lord, for all that we have available to us in Christ. Thank you. Truly, Jesus, you do satisfy. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, you have a great day in the Lord. God bless. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.